Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Wong. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archive conditions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Morgan Leichter-Saxby, a playwork trainer at Pop-Up Adventure Play, where she develops training curricula for international audiences and leads the Pop-Up Play Shop program, which converts empty downtown storefronts into free community play spaces. Morgan has worked on adventure playgrounds and mobile play teams in the UK, US, and Gambia. Last year, she was named the Playwork Writer of the Year at the UK National Playwork Conference. Morgan Lightfor-Saxby, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this is a great topic, one we've um, talked about in a broad sense, of course, many times about play in general, but uh, we're very excited to talk about the work that you're doing around the pop-up play. And I guess we should lead off with what exactly is pop-up play? <laughs> um, well, the, the basic idea is that playwork as an approach um, can be taken very opportunistically. So our idea is that you don't need an adventure playground to be encouraging children to play. You can apply these concepts and mix them with, um, with lessons from other fields and take it right into the streets, into people's parks and homes and empty shops, whatever you've got available. And is it something that, that you kind of do as almost, a, uh, from your own standpoint, as almost like a performance art thing to engage people, or do people hire you to come in and, and lead such things, and or all of the above? All of the above. Um, yeah, we, uh, playworkers tend to go where they're invited um, in terms of when entering children to play on the micro level, so I, I really like applying that to a community level as well. So, um we tend to go to places where we have either a personal connection or an organizational link. Um, but a lot of the work that we do is about giving resources and training to other people so that they can take it into their homes and their communities. We're all about disseminating good ideas. So can you give us an example of what this looks like in a particular example or community or Main Street? Um, sure. It's uh, well, say say a sort of classic play street idea. Um, the idea is, from our point of view, that people um, people are very accustomed to thinking of play as something that you have to go to a playground to do, or something that costs a lot of money to buy expensive toys. Um, so we want to help people, adults really, because kids are already so good at this, see the play potential of really ordinary materials, cardboard boxes, tubes, bits of fabric, things that they might have around the house, um, and then to create time and space in their lives and their homes to let children play. Um, and then on the community level, that will involve um, coordinating groups of people, a sort of potluck-style event, um, encouraging people to get out of their houses, make new friends, and start rebuilding the social networks that children that children really need, so that they can get out and just play every day outside in the ways that we used to take for granted. Um, and it's very similar when it's with an organization, say like a children's museum. We'll go in and train staff, and they'll be gathering up stuff, and then we'll do it on 
a bit of grass that might be their front yard. Morgan, can you talk a little bit about your your work with um, different museums and how that's going, how you're developing pop-up adventure play and training museum um, staff to further the importance and value of play in those particular communities? Sure. Um, well, I think children's museums um, are a great natural natural partner for more conversations about play because they're already on board for the most part, um, and there's already a lot of a lot of interest and a lot of enthusiasm in children's play and encouraging parents to find different ways of you know being involved or giving them space as necessary. Um, the the most recent one we did was with Providence Children's Museum. Um, who are all over the idea of play. Um, and so what we did with them was um, we had sort of, we had some workshops with museum staff and with some of um, the children's museum contacts in the city itself, people who could staff a public play event um, and then and then return home with ideas and skills about how to do this on their own neighborhood level. How to apply ideas to, you know, parent support organizations or parks and recs departments. Providence Children's Museum really been, they've really been doing a lot um, to create a playful landscape across the city as a whole. And uh, we met uh, well over time. I knew about Pop Up Adventure Play, and then we we made contact, and um, we've been doing some in collaboration with your support, with Pop-Up Adventure Play support. We've been doing some Pop-Up Adventure Play here in the Seattle area, the greater Seattle area. And um, that's been just great. And I'm also part of the um, Play Worker Development course, and I wonder if you could talk um, about play work as a field of study and work that many people don't even know there is such a study. You <laughs> mean you get a PhD in play, and um, and then how um, how that course, the course that you're offering, how people can get what it is, and how people can get involved with that. Sure. Um, so play work is a is a pro- is a professional practice or a field of work um, that started in the UK. And it really grew out of the adventure playground movement um, during and after the Second World War. Um, so you've got to think of, you know, the, the city is bombed nearly flat, um, material and social networks destroyed, and a lot of fear and anxiety about what would happen to the children who were growing up like this, you know. So um, the adventure playgrounds then were places where children could come, have bonfires, build tree houses, um, all kinds of really simple ordinary but also, you know, extraordinarily beautiful things. Um, and play workers, um, the approach of a sort of, it's a low interventionist, non-judgmental, really based around supporting what children are doing as a process rather than seeking a product out of it. So it's very much in the moment relationships with children. Um, and, yeah, I love it. Um, play workers. It's a beautiful profession, um, small but substantial. Um, and yeah, in the UK, you can get PhDs in it. Um, I haven't got one myself, but they let me do it anyway. Um, 
so yes, yeah, so this was this was my background and 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 uh, Susanna, who's also part of the team. But um, when we started working with with Anna, who's another member of Pop Up Adventure Play, um, and her background's more in like child development and education, and there was just so much. Um, richness in mixing these approaches together and in learning one another's vocabulary so that we could talk with different audiences and build connections because you're right people here haven't heard of playwork um and what was happening was that when we were doing this people kept contacting us people like yourself wanting to do it locally so we thought brilliant um started helping them but the thing is is it's it's a big field i mean playwork on its own is a big field and and Play as a phenomenon is one of those things that has a way of reaching into all aspects of life and community and everything. It's, um, it's not a kind of learning that you ever finish. So, um, so we started doing a distance learning course called the Playworker Development Course, which is reflective, um, ongoing, very much about each student developing their own capacity to look at the world around them and see what opportunities there are to make things better for children locally. So it's not about giving answers as such, although we do give a lot of readings. Um, it's much more about helping each individual become the best playworker they can and find their own style. It's interesting <laughs> to sort of think about, you know, on the one hand, what you were talking about, the work that you do with children and, and sort of the approaches you're talking about focusing on child-directed play and uh, I, I assume sort of as adults almost getting out of the way and, and on the other hand, you know, having formal training to sort of do that or learn how to redo that, uh, you know, just sort of make, makes me think about, you know, how much we as adults, I guess, get in the way and, and why do we need you know, formal help in fixing that problem. Mm -hmm. So can you say a little bit more about that? And, and you know, what, why do you why do you think we as adults are sort of feel the need to intervene when when kids kind of naturally do free play, but we sort of you know get away from that? Oh gosh, that's a big one. Um, I think there are a lot of different reasons. Um, I think a, lo a lot of it comes down to comes down to fear and the best of intentions, to be honest. So I don't want to demonize any adults who do get very highly involved in their children's play, and there are some who are very highly involved. Um, because they, it's always with the best of intentions, I think. But I think that on a societal level, we don't have a lot of faith in children. You know, we think that we think that learning and education are the same, you know, that if you... Um, yeah, whereas I think that that when children are able to take their own time and figure something out for themselves, um, navigate an environment that's complex and risky and all of these things, and they they build their own capacities and they learn a lot of the things, a lot of the things that are really essential to life, you know, how to understand risk, how to make and survive the loss of friends and all of those things that can't be taught by adults. I think that sometimes we see those lessons coming and we know that some of them hurt, you know? So there's this idea that we can protect children from from all sorts of pain or wound or injury, but it's inevitable. It's just part of being alive, I think. One of the things that um, I picked up in being part of the 
play worker development course and taking part in pop-up adventure play is that kids have their own language, at least, you know, looking at U.S. kids and kids over here in the Seattle area, um, and, and even my own grandkids. And so as I've been reflecting on um, play and, and uh, observing, say, my grand twins, who are now four, I see I can see, um, you know, this idea that children... They have their own language, and adults don't often understand the language. So um, one of the things that was brought up in the course was violent play. And um, I had a uh, couple opportunities to to witness and reflect on that kind of play, and, and one of them was where the kids were playing and they were cutting off each other's heads, to my horror at first. <laughs> and then I realized that, I kept I stood I stood back and kept uh, witnessing the play and, and hands off and didn't jump in and stop it and um, realized they it was not about what I was thinking at all it was I don't know what exactly was going on but it, and it, but ordinarily I think a lot of adults would have jumped in including myself previously and said oh no that's really bad and um, we shouldn't be doing that because, you know, we have war and there's so much violence going on already in our community. So, and sat down and talked to the kids. And, and so, you know, so we have a lot of belief systems around play as adults in the U.S. and I and around the world that, um, like, U.S. play doesn't necessarily look like mom bait, mom I play or um, Barcelona play or... Or as Mexico play. So, what would you what do you have to say about our uh, sort of continuing what Steve brought up about belief systems and how we can work with those in our own reflective process to be a bit more hands off with the kids and. Uh, I was wondering about that too about about those differences in play sort of around the world and because you've done work in different places and and whether whether those differences are really in the kids or more in how the adults perhaps culturally interact with the kids or both? Um, yeah, well, I'd, I'd say the, I guess the, the first the first thing I want to pick up on there is this, um, this way that we tend to intervene when we think that children's play is looking, you know, violent or impolite in some way because we think that those concepts have no place in childhood. Um, I think that that comes down to a lack of understanding in many adults between what's real and what's what's a story, what's fantasy. I think that a lot of adults will intervene in like you know games of of pretend sword play and then see no hypocrisy in going home and watching a zombie movie. It's it's mm-hmm. a story, you know. It's just it's just a game. But um, but I think that in terms of international play, and there are people on the course from. Oh, I think eight different countries now, like Mexico and Uganda and Costa Rica and all sorts of different places. And the thing that's really struck me, and in my travels as well, isn't isn't the differences; it's the commonality. Um, and just so much of it is the same. You, you'll see echoes in children's cultures um, of, you know, storytelling and clapping games and games of jacks and chants and you know, death and survival and all the the big concepts and the little ones, and you'll see that in varying forms across children's cultures all around the world in the same way that you do 
across adult cultures all over the world. Um, my my uh, educational background before I got into playwork was in anthropology, so this is a subject near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so I was going to ask what that background was, how you, how you came to be a playwork trainer and playworker. What, um, what were you doing well, previously that led to this? Yeah, I was um, I was really interested in public space and who uses it and who's who's considered part of the public and what they get to do there and how that's created. Um, and I was doing a master's degree in anthropology in London, um, and I needed to do some field work, <laughs> and um, and I couldn't I couldn't afford to go to Papua New Guinea like all the other all the other anthropology students. Um, and I heard about an adventure playground around the corner. So I went there and thought, well, I'll see what's happening there. And um, I'd been on the site about about two minutes, um, showing up like a real nerd with like my voice recorder and my notepad and clipboard and all that stuff. And the kids <laughs> just robbed me of them immediately, um, immediately whipped them out of my pockets. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then I just sort of hung out there for the day. Um, and... Went home at the end with like wood chip down my pants, and and they handed me back my voice recorder, and my notepad covered in scribbles, and and the sounds of kids on the swings and all that stuff. And I just thought, I didn't know you could do this for a living. You know, I didn't know you. I didn't know this got, this was a job for some very lucky people. I still feel that way, to be honest. Yes, I hear that in your voice, Morgan. Yeah, when you talk when you talk about it, you're. You definitely get excited. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the passion in your voice. You know, I also know that there was a pop up adventure play at the moment in New York. And yeah. um and so it was it look I wasn't there but it looks like and I've been at the moment itself but I wasn't there for the pop up play, but it looks like it's they, it was like totally taking over this uh, quite a huge space. So I wonder if you can uh just uh tell us a little bit about that uh pop up and um, some other uh, pop-ups, and then how uh, parents and adults can be a bit more hands-off with um, when they're when they are witnessing or observing. They're in the they're in the play space, and um, to let the kids create through their play a bit more. Mm. Momo was so much fun. Um, so they they were having an exhibition called um, Children in the City, I believe. And it was all about, um, I mean, they they talked about the Adventure Playground movement and um, toy design right the way up to, like, Pee Wee's Playhouse, right? And um, we'd been talking with them, and it was like, you're having this huge exhibit on children, but there's nothing for children. Um, and and um, it also sort of gave the impression that, you know, Adventure Playgrounds were, were dead and gone, which isn't the case at all. So they let us, so yeah, when we got talking, they said, well, we've got this room and we've got this stuff and we're really into this idea. And and it was a free event, too. You didn't have to pay them on the cover charge to come. And they were they were fantastic. Um, and we got to do, like, a real pop-up. Like, it was it was extremely messy by the end um, in a way that I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think we'd get away with. But they were fantastic about it. Um, and people kept kept walking along the the catwalks above, and then staring down. And you could see them thinking, like, "Is this some kind of installation piece?" But um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so that was that was brilliant. Um, there's been yeah, there's been lots of different pop ups. Um, ones that we've been directly involved in. Um, uh, there was a library in Austin Brighton in Boston, um, a Play Street in New York. Um, one of our, our staff, Susanna, did. Uh, um, did one on the street outside her house for the Queen's Jubilee. So it's, you know, the the big and the little. There was one um there was one with the city of Largo that I think attracted oh gosh, fifteen thousand people I think it was. Mm, well. So we've yeah. From very small to very large. Mhm. Mhm. Do do you do pop ups that are just for adults sometimes, like in a workplace or a setting where it's primarily adults? And if so, how is it different than what you do with kids? We we always have um, a pop-up or, you know, playtime for adults during our trainings. And then we facilitate them in the way that we're training them to facilitate children. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amazing thing is for me is how exactly the same it is. It, I think that a lot of adults, you know, they... The, um, the fears of looking ridiculous are a bit more deeply ingrained than they are in younger children. Um, so it's a little bit harder for some of them to get into it. But other ones just like just dive right in and start constructing these huge things out of cardboard and string. Um, and the thing that the point that we try and make as well is that is that these are responses that the children will have. You know the. Um, Nervousness about joining, about asking somebody else if they can play, feeling excited, feeling frustrated. All of these things are things that the adults will see as play workers. But, uh, and then we also play work a lot of the adults who come to these events as well, the, the parents of children. That's one of, our, one of our first tactics when we see them getting very involved as we try and help them find their own way to play so that they... Um, then aren't trying to play through proxy. I knew there was an adult pop-up playground at um, the International Montessori Conference um, mm. recently, um, and um, and I heard good things about it. I wasn't there, but uh, but I also um, one of the things that is interesting to me too is this notion that. Solitary play is okay too for kids. That that's a decision. That's an option for them, and so I think often uh, adults also intervene with that too, thinking, "Oh, you're all by yourself." But sometimes kids want to play by themselves, don't we? You know, <laughs> we don't always want to be with a group, or we can go back and forth. So, what would you have to say about those kind of choices for children in play? Oh, that's yeah, that's absolutely true. Solitary play is is still play. I mean, and it, it's a completely valid option, and so is not playing. Yeah. And I, I think that if children want to, if children are at a site, you know, we don't. They may or may not have chosen to come. You know, they may or may not have had a a terrible day or a wonderful day or anything else before they got there, and they might just be sort of scoping out the scene before getting involved. And it's not up to us to make sure that everybody's, you know. That everybody is having this like identical experience. That's not the point at all. And and, and you, I think oh no, go on. Oh, I was going to say, and you you mentioned about 
cardboard and yarn and tires and things like that. But then there's also um, natural materials, too, that the kids can play with, like leaves and dirt. And, oh, and absolutely. So those can be brought pop up way, too. Absolutely. Those are fantastic. I um, And I think that a really great natural environment has everything that it needs. I mean, it's always helpful to have some string, but, you know, that's, that's not necessary. The the idea of stocking um, adventure playgrounds, you know, fixed or pop-up um, with all of these different loose parts like cardboard boxes is, is to compensate for a really rich and fluid natural environment to, um, yeah, to uh, compensate for, like, a half-abandoned woodlands or a building site or all those other places that are so incredibly exciting when you're nine. Mm-hmm. So the examples that we've been talking about with the pop-up um, projects in different kinds of places, wh- where's all of this going? Sort of what's next? What are you guys dreaming of, whether you, you or sort of the broader group and organization? What's sort of on the horizon for promoting play through the work that you're doing? Um, well, I've got pretty pretty big ambitions, to be honest. Um, our mission statement as an organization is is to support the play of children all around the world in communities of adults who understand the importance of play and can support it. Um, so that's not really a job that will be finished anytime soon. My uh, my hope personally is that by working with organizations and helping them do outreach and then working with grassroots organizers and helping them build community, eventually it will all meet and the whole world will become fantastic for children to play in and for all of us to live in. And and the website for Pop Up Adventure Play, um, I know has some free resources and people can sign up to um get on your list to receive regular information from you. Can you say a little bit more about the resource and, and how people can find that information? Yeah, absolutely. Um you get a, a free small pack um for joining our mailing list and that's really designed for mini pop ups, so things that you can do in your home, in your front yard, um, living room play. Um, and then there's also a program by which you can contact and work with one of us, as Mary Alice has been doing, and then get access to more resources to do stuff on a local community level. Um, there's also the course, and then there's also um, our consultation packages where we come to an organization near you. And I also know you're going to be, well, some there's going to be, there's work being done on the East Coast, and... Um, with pop up adventure play, and you eventually want to bring uh, the team out here to the West Coast as well. Is that right? Yes, we. Um, ah, that would be the train coming through town. Apologies. Um, yes, we are also talking about a tour, so stay tuned. And the, the website for uh, pop up adventure play is, is linked off of the show website in your um, short bio on our site. So. And find more information through creativity.com and in today's show uh, listing as well. So, Morgan, thank you very much for joining us today on Creativity and Play. It's, it's been great to talk about these topics, and uh, I very much look forward to uh, bumping into one of these soon with you or your colleagues, and, and uh, as Mary Alice said, uh, hopefully on the West Coast with her and, and her colleagues as well. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So our guest today is Morgan Saxby, Morgan Lichter Saxby, and she is a play worker, writer, and play work trainer for Pop Up Adventure Play, 
Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste, and you can listen to this show and previous shows again. Find more information about our guests and sign up to be notified of upcoming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you.